Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. Today, I am pleased to welcome back John Chai, who has been continuing to battle in the 1K No Limit Ignition Streets, and he has put together some hands where he's found some donks, some leads into the preflop razor, not something that he typically does. So, John, why don't you set up this first situation for us? Uh, so, this first hand happens at a 510 no limit, um, 6 max cash. The hand occurs against um, all regs, and we are uh, 100 big blinds effective. The cutoff opens 20, the button calls, and I flat from the small blind with pocket nines, um, nine of hearts, nine of spades, and the big blind calls as well so we're going four way to a flop with eighty dollars in the middle and the flop comes wait 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 let's let's rein it in here rein it in here so first of all we flatted from the small blind with the nines yeah tell the listener and myself about that decision because typically not many flats from the small blind and i know i've seen you three bet with nines many many times facing early position open so tell me about why you opted to flat here Sure. So one of the things that I have been trying to work on recently is developing and kind of practicing a flatting strategy from a variety of positions that I was not flatting from previously. Um, I think prior to playing, prior to moving up to 1KNL, like one of the reasons I didn't have very many flats in position or any flats from the small blind was um, rake. It's just really hard to win money when you're flatting a lot preflop and, and rake is relatively high. But one of the nice things about 1KNL is that the rake is relatively low, um, and that allows me to profitably flat from a handful of positions that I wasn't flatting from prior. Um, and pocket nines from the small blind um, is a spot where I'm going to be mixing in some flats now, whereas previously, let's say at like 200NL, I was pure three betting. I had like pocket nines. And nines, I assume, is the cutoff for you? Tens likely to be a pure three bet? I'm actually like the pure three betting, like versus an let's say versus an under the gun open starts with jacks, and I will be mixing. This is MP, so yeah, tens is a pure three bet versus an MP open. Okay, cool. So little mixed strategy action, taking a flop four ways out of position with our two nines. As mentioned previously, John does call, and the big blind also comes along getting. 7-1 to one on their action. Pretty anticipated. The big blind is going to come along fairly light. And we see a flop of Trey of diamonds, 4 of hearts, 5 of clubs. There's $80 in the pot. John, tell me about your decision to lead into the preflop raiser here. Yeah, so I think the... Uh, so leading the flop here, donking the flop is a play that I... I don't know if I've ever made before until this hand. Um, a big part of the reason ties into the short conversation we had about post-flop, or excuse me, about pre-flop, where 
if I don't have a flatting range from the small blind, then I'm not going to have very many opportunities to dunk the flop like this. Um, so that's probably a big reason why I haven't thought much about a, about a dunking strategy. Um, but I do decide to dunk this 5-4-3 rainbow flop with pocket nines. One reason is I think that players play very straightforward um, in multi-way plots, and, and it's going to be more true when it's uh, uh, when we go four ways to the flop versus, you know, Three, three ways. And so I think this flop is at risk of getting checked through uh, quite often, um, which is sort of a disaster when I have a hand as good as nines just to let like, you know, an over card, like an ace or king peel on the turn, or even like a straight completing card, like a six or a deuce or a seven sort of makes it really hard for me to play my hand. And, uh, you know, it's kind of gives a lot of potential free equity away on the flop if I just let it get checked through. The word you're looking for is visibility. We mm. have a major visibility problem on a wide variety of turns if it goes checked through. Basically, any overcard, any deuce, any six, any seven, uh, we don't exactly know what to do. And we're likely just going to be checking the turn and then it's going to check through again. And we're just giving another free card in the times that villains still just have overcards. So, like, basically, it makes a lot of sense to me. It feels very natural to lead with pretty much any hand that you're going to continue with here on Tray 4 5 Rainbow. All of my straights, all of my sets, even hands like maybe 6 8 suited. That's like an equity driven hand that has draws to the nuts. I think that's a hand that makes a lot of sense to just lead with. So, I'm down and. I don't know what sizing you're going to use, but for me, it would probably be in the realm of three-fourths, uh, 60 to 75%. Oh, wow. Okay, so I decide to bet much smaller than that. I So there's $80 in the pot, and I decide to bet 25 uh, which is about a third. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's sort of the first... <laughs> The first uh, problem that I run into when I do decide to try implementing a dong strategy is like, what size do I donk on the flop? I guess could you talk about more about why you'd uh, why you opt to go for the larger sizing? Whatever size feels appropriate with my sets is the size that I would land on with the entirety of my range. So gotcha. I'm not going to be betting 25 into 80 with the set. I'm likely just sizing up. I want villains to play poorly versus my flop lead and i think that like it's pretty easy to find some real natural easy continues facing the one-third size gotcha okay yeah and uh just to kind of prove your point two players do continue the big blind calls the uh pre-flop razor folds and the button also calls um so we go three ways to a turn with $155 in the middle the turn is the eight of clubs so now the board is eight five, four, three with a club flush draw. I have nine of hearts, nine of spades. All in all, this seems like a pretty good turn for me. Yeah, you, you're living the pure life. You you, you need basically <laughs> a board pairing turn or an eight or a nine. Those are the cards that you feel good about. Yeah, yeah. It's the only undercard that doesn't uh, bring a straight or tear the board, I guess. Like so. I said, you're, you're living the pure life. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty beautiful turn for my hands. Okay, I guess the question that I have then is, is this a spot where you would lead again? And if so, um, what size? I would certainly lead again. And we're at the point in the hand where the situation is very different than how it would be 
at my given flop sizing, but I would still lead probably around two thirds. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. That's pretty much exactly what I do. I leave the turn for just under a hundred dollars, just two thirds, and both the big blind and the button folds on the turn. Pretty anticlimactic ending, but pretty much what's expected, I think, when they just flat that small flop sizing. Most of their value, their sets, their straights are just going to be raising a ton uh, on the flop. And like when they flat the eight, the only real hand that the eight improves is like pocket eights. So yeah, it's it, it feels pretty natural that our opponents are not going to continue. And just looking into the hands that the big wide and the button had, the big wide had ace three of hearts for a flop bottom pair gutter and back burner flush draw and the button had pocket deuces for uh the bottom end of an open ender on the flop so kind of two perfect hands that it's sort of like i don't know in my mind it's sort of a disaster to let them get like three turns in rivers versus pocket nines so pretty i don't know pretty perfect setup for my to test out my donkey strat i think i think too like when you bet into the pre-flop razor four ways like do you have any natural bluffs yeah, I think like I think on these lower boards especially, it isn't as hard to find natural bluffs. Like one of the ones that you uh mentioned where it's a hand like six eight suited, doing a little bit of flatting with that hand from the small blind in this situation. Define a little bit. Like like uh less than ten percent. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's a, that's a real little bit. That's mm-hmm. I, I think you you gave that little bit a little too much oomph. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. But okay. So for hands that I'm flop uh, flatting more often than a little bit, I'm, I'm gonna have hands like seven eight suited. I'm gonna have five six suited. Yeah. I guess those are the two sort of hands that stick out to me as the most uh, natural bluffs. Um, I don't know what you think about five six suited. If you think that that's like maybe too good. Not sure. I, I think it's it. it the spot is so infrequent that it's probably not worthy of going down that rabbit hole of like yeah. five six. I, I could go either way. I think checking or betting is fairly reasonable with five six. Probably lean towards just leading out. But uh, anyway, I, I think the decision to lead is great. I don't know that I love your sizing, but you know, again, like basically, you bet one third. I have to imagine if you have a set of fives, you're going to be sizing up which means you have two different sizings or splitting your range here, and that's going to be a real real SOB to manage over the long term. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think sizing up like sizing up so that I can uh, just continue using that size when I flop really strong value on the flop is uh, is probably the way to go. Plus, it's really it's much harder for villains to find some sort of natural raises, right? Like right. when you bet 60, when you lead 60 into four ways, like they're less likely to raise with any sort of weakish type hand like they're just you you could just happily fold the nines to a raise knowing right. that they're just under bluffing yeah yeah that's a good point and um after the break we're going to look at a hand that i'm much less confident about it involves john having aces and it's going to get funky so stick around after the break to check out hand number two in this donk leading tactical tuesday Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching 
led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. All right, welcome back to Tactical Tuesday here with my star pupil, John Chai, in the streets of 1K No Limit on Ignition. John, why don't you clue the listener in on what's about to go down in hand number two? Second hand also happens um, uh, in the 510 streets on Ignition. Um, this hand starts with a fish in middle position um, who has been playing 56-0 over his first 18 hands and has uh, about an 80 big blind stack. Starts with him uh, open limping from middle position, uh, folds around to me in the small blind. I have aces, ace of hearts, ace of clubs. I make it $60 flop the big blind comes along the big blind appears to be a reg and the fish the fish who limped open limped also comes along so we go three ways to a queen seven deuce all club flop with 180 in the middle i have the ace of clubs and the ace of hearts i guess this is like where my questions begin like do you have a preference as to uh checking or betting What's interesting here is I feel like I have lied to the viewer and that this is not a donking hand. <laughs> this is a hand where we pass up a c-betting opportunity. We carry initiative with us to the flop. But it's still an odd, odd, odd hand. And I, I do think... donk the turn in this hand. Oh, you do donk the turn? Yeah, yeah. Okay, this so... Yeah. This one doesn't... <laughs> so it's not, not donking the flop, it's just donking in general. I could go either way as, as it relates to either betting or checking. I think checking... You know, our hand is protected, but I also think that like betting, we can get called from a lot worse and we are protected against raises on the flop as well. So typically against a passive fish who's last to act, I would tilt towards just leading out pretty big. Interesting. I I feel like one of the things that I'm noticing is that your sizes, um, especially multi-way, seem to be like a little bit bigger than what I would normally go for. Um, I did decide to check this flop, but I, I think that if I... Decided to bet out of bet on the smaller side, uh, like I did in the previous hand with the nine. So I, I think in this spot it's fine, but like, yeah, there's a fish who's last to act, who's likely inflexible to their continuing range. So like, we've got a great hand. I just go max, max exploit, max profit versus that specific player type. So anyway, it's back to the action. 180 in the middle, queen seven deuce, all clubs, got aces with the ace of clubs. I check. This is where the hand starts getting a little bit weird. The big blind leads for a third, and then the fish who limped preflop raises 3x to $180. <laughs> no idea, John. I I don't know. I think that, again, going back to the last hand of the nines, like the big blind, I'm not especially convinced they're very strong because of their small sizing, although maybe that's just their standard multi-way sizing. I, I do think that, like, again, they're incentivized to go bigger with the fish 
in the pot with like eight nine of clubs or nine ten of clubs or king nine of clubs like so i i don't know that like 60 it's very credible that the big blind has a super strong hand the, the fish on the other hand who's raising the flop bet i literally have no idea yeah um just to like go along with what you just said about like expecting the big blind to bet a larger size with their really strong hands like their flop flushes um versus this third pot lead from the big blind i'd be very happy about checking check raising my aces with ace of clubs um expecting to have the best hand the vast majority of the time whereas if you bet 120 on the flop i'd feel way less comfortable about check raising uh one pair there's really not that much to do here i think other than flatting i i don't want to i think like if we jam we're just getting called by all the hands that beat us from the the whale yeah so yeah i want to leave like i don't know king queen some of his stronger queen x in his range for sure and got tons of equity versus his sets and two pairs and even his flush even his flushes so yeah that's what i decided to do uh button or the big blind leads for 60 the fish raises to 180 and then i flat from the small blind and the big blind flats as well uh so we go three ways to the turn with 720 dollars in the middle the turn is the beautiful six of clubs which gives me the nuts and this is where i john one second what what, what did I say earlier about the eight of clubs on the turn? What what kind of life are you living? Uh, the pure life. <laughs> yeah. This is the pure life. This yeah, is a pure life, my friends. That is Just... definitely how I felt when the six of clubs peeled on the turn. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, this is where I decided to, to donk lead. Again, I feel like maybe you're going to say something about sizing. I donked for a third on the turn for uh, betting 216 into 720. What I think is hilarious about the sizing is like, it's so obviously transparent. (laughs) Like it's so obviously transparent that you only have the ace of clubs here when you lead this amount. Like, yeah, but then like when I, when I lead at all, isn't it transparent? Like would I ever lead this turn without the nuts? I don't know. No, you wouldn't. Um, you just wouldn't, but it becomes problematic when you bet a small amount and allow villains sets to just easily call one third, knowing that you just always have the ace of clubs. Like I, I don't love giving my opponents uh, a spot where it's just easy, natural, continue with their sets and they just pretty much fold everything else and just naturally defend very well. Like, if I'm going to flash a neon sign over my head saying I have the nuts, like, at least bet a size that protects the nuts from their hands with equity. Right, exactly. And I would probably go for, like, villains, the short sacker. There's 720 in the pot. John bet 216, leaving himself with 612 behind. The short stacker in this hand, the fish, has 548 total on the turn. I would probably just be putting them in, expecting that the big blind is, like, never calling no matter what. Like they're just, they, they're never calling no matter what we do pretty much, okay. unless they have a set, in which case they're just going to call this small bet to try to make a boat. So, yeah, I agree that I should pick a bigger size with, with the nuts when I have it here, instead of giving both players essentially direct odds to continue with their sets and, and uh, improve. I think betting the 216 into the, into the 720 was, was probably mistaken and was too small, but Anyways, that is the size that I 
uh, ended up going with. The big blind folds and the uh, middle position player calls, leaving himself with $332 behind. And the river comes the deuce of spades, which pairs the board. So now the board is queen, seven, six, deuce, deuce, four clubs. I have ace of clubs, ace of hearts. Uh, there's $1,152 in the middle, and the fish villain has 332 behind. Well, we got what we asked for. Yeah, I think this is like, I mean, just uh, to go back to your turn sizing comments, this is sort of like the situation we want to avoid by betting the small sizing is, you know, we give them a perfectly good price to continue with, our opponents a perfectly good price to continue with, and then the board pairs and I don't know, like weird things happen um <laughs> <laughs> what do we do i don't know what to do i, I guess I, I guess you just put it in to prevent yeah. a check check back from the the whale but like i'm certainly not surprised if they just show up with a bunch of boats right so i decided to put it in i thought that you know even if i do check in the whale jams i'm not going to fold but one of the if if you check in the whale jams it's much less likely they're jamming with like the king x um, right. the, the king high flush and they're likely just going to be jamming with like all their boats and then checking back everything else so you pretty much have to put the bet in and hope that they make a calling mistake with their king of clubs yeah so i do put it in for the exact reasons you just mentioned and the fish finds a fold on the river and what did they have john let's us give the big reveal here <laughs> yeah, just to uh, uh go back to our conversation about the pure life <laughs> Both of my opponents flopped flushes. Uh, the big blind had 10-9 of clubs, and the fish in middle position had jack-5 of clubs. So the turn card was very fortunate, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> A number of things to talk about here. And I think number one is like, I think that multi-way spots, as you and I have been going through coaching sessions, and as I'm seeing over and over and over again, like the tendency of regs in the pool is to size down with pretty much their entire range. I think that's where the population is trending. So even though like I would personally size up on the flop to 120 with my big hands here, it looks like the reg is just choosing this one-third sizing with the entirety of their, of their range. And I think that's point number one is it's pretty important to at least talk about from my point of view because always good to discover false assumptions that you're making when it comes to ranging and developing strategies against your opponents. And we can't be so rigid as it relates to our poker education to where we think we're untouchable or that there's no room to adjust and evolve and learn and change. And this is just a prime example of that. And secondly, we've been talking a lot about increasing your preflop raise size with good hands facing limps from specifically weaker opponents and here we went 6x preflop and they had zero problems finding the continue with a jack and a five of the same suit so i think that we can safely say that sizing up with our big hands isn't really going to make much of a difference as it relates to how often these these guys continue like in for a penny in for a pound as they say yeah i think i actually think that these two hands and and just me trying to find uh, more donks in general fits pretty well with just like kind of the theme of what you just said about sort of breaking out of the box and not just falling into the, the habit or the pattern of doing what the rest of the population does or doing what the regs in the population do. And 
especially when there's a fish involved, like in this hand where I probably could have gone more than 6x. I think uh, just wild deviations are going to show um, a huge profit, uh, especially compared to just playing your my standard kind of ABC style that I do versus versus regs. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to get too far into it in this Tactical Tuesday because we're reaching the end here. But one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately is just models as it relates to how we structure our poker game. And the only rational thing that makes sense to me as it relates to creating models is to attack the models that our opponents create, whether they create it consciously or not. And I would say that this guy that's limping with a jack and a five He's just going to call super wide. Like we need to find the boundary of where he's going to continue. Like what's the size that he starts folding preflop, right? Like I think just poking, poking, poking to try to find where his model kind of falls apart. Um, and then we just live in that fringe area where we maximize our value preflop. And, you know, speaking of models, preflop bootcamp fires back up this Saturday. Like I just said, it is a model of preflop play that ought to be profitable in pretty much any online game that you play in up until you reach the flop. <laughs> when you reach the flop, we need more models um, for the actions that we take. But at least you can get phase one right and bootcamp fires back up, like I just said, this Saturday and every last Saturday of the month. That's chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. And with that out of the way, I think that it's safe to wrap up this episode of Tactical Tuesday. John, do you have any parting thoughts? Uh, no, sounds like a good place to stop. Perfect. I may catch you next week, depending on the Terminator's status. <laughs> but until then, see you next week in Tactical Tuesday. <laughs>